Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Hey, Merry Christmas to you. I want to welcome each and every one of you to church with, uh, with Cornerstone today. I do have to tell you um, something special is happening today. December 16th, 23 years ago, Christy agreed to marry me on the altar. So it is our anniversary. And I'm so blessed. I'm a blessed man. Uh, I know uh, some husbands can relate to what I'm about to say, but when I got to marry Christy, I outkicked my coverage greatly. So uh, it's, been, uh, it's been an incredible 23 years, and we look forward to many, many more years together. Uh, so yeah, that's happening. To, we're we're going to go on a little uh, overnighter to Sacramento, um, the most romantic city in America, uh, <laughs> Monday. So uh, we're going to celebrate. So we've got a lot of folks who connect with Cornerstone in, a, in different ways. Uh, we, of course, have, as, as Lynn mentioned, we have five physical locations across the East Bay. We also have people that join us uh, online. So we call them online streamers. There's podcasters, YouTubers. There's CF insiders. There's people that are joining us in various rooms and pockets and parent rooms and the courtyard and parchments and then all around in your car uh, and, and working out. So however you're connecting with us today, I'm I'm just happy that we get to spend a little bit of time as we continue our study on the birth of Jesus. So today, we're going to talk about Joseph, and we're also going to talk about how Jesus got his name. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1, excuse me, verses 18 through 25. That's what we're going to be studying. We're going to read that in just a moment. But Joseph was, of course, Mary's fiance when she became pregnant with the Messiah, And this act of God brought Mary and Joseph no small amount of trouble into their lives. So last week, Becky, Becky, I think she's in the room. Becky did a great job last week. Let's give it up for Becky Fitch, everybody. She's right over here. (laughs) Becky taught us that the presence of Jesus brings joy. And that's absolutely true. So good. Amen to that. But here we read that the presence of Jesus also brings trouble. Oh, Trouble. That just seems like an odd point to make for someone who maybe is convincing another person to follow Jesus. But Jesus brings trouble. Now, how can I say that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but for one thing, Jesus, when he shows up, tends to really um, disrupt our plans and our vision for our future, our dreams. 
uh, even our actions. And what he does is he tends to want to replace all the, those things with his plans and his vision and his actions for our life. And that can be troublesome. Can someone say amen to that? Is anybody with me on that? Yes, it's very true. This was the case for Mary and Joseph. It was humanly impossible for either of them to explain the virgin birth to people in a way that it made sense. Nobody got this. It was so impossible for anybody to wrap their head around it. And thus it was an extreme hardship to be the couple chosen that brought God's son into the earth. It was foretold by the prophets, of course, but it was unprecedented. It was disruptive and it was inconvenient. Jesus showing up brought a lot of problems. But they handled it beautifully. This joy, this trouble, this Jesus. And as a result, Mary and Joseph are some of our heroes of the faith. But when it comes to Joseph, though, we wish we knew a little bit more about him. There's precious little in our Bible passages about his life. And certainly when we all get to heaven, we'll meet him and give him a fist bump and get to know him a lot better. But for now, let's go ahead and read our verses and draw out some things that we can learn and grow from. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Here's what the text says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband or her fiance Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, Matthew quotes here. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Very familiar, isn't this? This is part of the, 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 the few passages that we cover every season when we launch into Advent. And what it's saying here is the angel shows up right as Joseph is about to quietly divorce Mary. And then when he shows up, things in his life change dramatically. The angel says, hang on a second now. This isn't what you think it is, Joseph. This baby is the promised Messiah that you've been reading about in the Old Testament. And God in this process, Joseph, is giving you a very special assignment. He's tapping you on the shoulder and he's changing the course of your life. But notice the angel also says something else very important that I want to key in on today. Look back down in your Bibles in verse 21. Again, we just read it, but here it is again. She, Mary, will bear a son, the angel says to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you've been tracking with us with this series, this should look very familiar. This is not the first time we have actually heard an angel say something like this to someone because the angel told Mary the exact same thing earlier in the nativity timeline. This is found in Luke's gospel. Here it is on the screen. In uh, chapter 131, again, this is now the Mary talking, this is the angel talking to Mary, got a little dyslexic. Uh, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
So the Lord, through an angel, shows up in the midst of all of this activity twice and tells Mary and Joseph both in separate instances, listen about this baby. Neither of you get to name this child. The Lord is giving this child his name and his name will be Jesus. So Mary and Joseph, they don't get to name Jesus, God does. Now the thing that is a bit stirring here is that back then it was the parents' right and the parents' obligation to name the child. And that's very similar to the way things are today, is it not? When you have a baby, and most of us have babies in hospitals, it's not like someone walking by in the hospital just shouts in the room, oh, hey, this kid's name is, and then names the kid and signs the birth certificate. That doesn't happen, right? Why? Because it's the parents' right and obligation to name the child. It's their legal right to do so. And so it was uh, back then, in Bible times. But It was a bit different, maybe, than today, because in ancient Israel, it was a patriarchal culture. And so it was the father's right to name the son, and that was particularly strong. So dads got to name boys. But God says to Joseph, you don't get to name him. I'm taking away your earthly right to name this baby. That's what's happening in the stream. So what does Joseph do? What is his response, right? So, so I think maybe if we put ourselves in that position, maybe we would respond this way. We would say, well, okay, Lord, fine. Um, all right, so about not divorcing Mary and, and, and that whole thing, yeah, okay, I can, go, I can go ahead with that. I can do that, Lord. And about trying to understand that this kid is the Messiah, I don't know if anybody can really understand that, but I'll try to do that. But hey, wait a second now. When it comes to this kid, right, if he's gonna be in my home, if I'm gonna raise him, well, then at least I should get to name him Lord. Is that what Joseph does? Look at the text, right? No, it's not. Someone said, someone answered the question, you, sir, get a free bagel and cream cheese on me after service. Good job. Look again at the conclusion. Uh, We've just read it. Verse 24, 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded, skip down. And Joseph, Joseph calls his name Jesus. So Joseph obeys God. Joseph submits Joseph bows his knee to the Lord's request. Now, it doesn't say this, but I would imagine Joseph is a very intelligent person. He uh, was of married age, and I imagine, like many Israelites, he had aspirations to have kids, and maybe he even had a dream and a vision to, to name the first child, the first son that he had with his wife, and, and maybe that was something like, hey, you know, I was going to name my first son after his great-grandfather, Eleazar. No, that's a good name. That's a strong name. That's a biblical name, right? That was my vision. But nonetheless, Lord, I submit my vision. I submit my plans to you. You, uh, you have your way here, Lord. Let your will be done. And Joseph calls the name of the child Jesus. Okay, so if I had a microphone, I would drop it. I would say, boom, this is big. What just happened here? This is huge. This becomes paradigmatic for you and I. Oh, what's that mean? It simply means that what Joseph has accomplished here shows to to serve as an example for you and me, a roadmap for us to follow when it comes to our turn to serve Jesus. Now specifically, here is what Joseph does. I'll put this on the screen. Joseph surrendered 
the non-sinful interests of self to the Lord. Joseph surrenders the non-sinful interests of self. Again, Joseph deprived himself of something that was rightly his at God's request. God did not ask Joseph to stop sinning in this passage. No, we already covered it. It wasn't a sin to name a kid. Rather, Joseph freely gives up his independence and his autonomy that was culturally and naturally and spiritually his to have. He just surrenders all of this over to God so that Jesus would have preeminence in every single detail of the incarnation. Joseph waives his rights. Joseph forgoes the prerogatives of fatherhood in ancient Israel. He forgoes the prerogatives of his position. Why? Why would someone do this? Because God asked him to. What Joseph does here, I, as I was thinking about this, is very, we call it countercultural. You know, it seems to me that the predominant cultural message when it comes to personal rights and freedoms is this, is that if you have it, then you leverage it and you use it. Every single freedom, every single right, make sure that everybody's rights are fully protected at all times in all directions in this life and make sure that no one's rights ever get waived or stamped upon or stomped upon or, or curtailed in any way, shape, or form. And if you have it, you use it. The exercising of all personal freedoms, regardless of the cost to one's soul, is the predominant cultural message, is it not? But here we see a life surrendered to God's plan. I mean, Joseph was obeying Jesus and Jesus wasn't even born yet. That's the kind of king that we have here in Christ. People were submitting to him in utero. So then the question becomes, okay, this is interesting. How does this apply to me? Ah, very good question. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Let me press this. What interests is Jesus asking you and me to surrender to him? What rights is he asking me to waive? How can I follow suit? Now certainly, certainly you and I, we're not perfect. We have sin issues. We have just blatant sin issues that God is dealing with us on. And there are things that he is doing in his grace to sanctify us and to get us to, to move out of the habitual just ways in which we walk away from God and we, and we just blatantly sin. All right, that's happening and God's grace and his sanctification processes are alive and well in those who follow Jesus. But what about those things that don't fit into the sin category in our lives? What about those things that aren't like a breaking of a Ten Commandment or a violation of the New Testament sexual ethic, right? What about things that don't fall under the typical sin category? Can Jesus have lordship in our lives over those things too? Well, I don't know. Can he? Okay, so I'm just going to pause for a second and just give us all permission to actually interact with this sermon, okay? Can we do that? Or right, this is me, all right? I like this. 
I prefer this. Sometimes on Christian television, I watch The Potter's House, which is a huge African-American church in Dallas, Texas, pastored by an incredible preacher named T.D. Jakes. And what's so cool about that church is when he makes a point, everybody's like getting up and giving a hoop holler, and, and man, they're amening him, and they're high-fiving, and they're, I mean, it's an awesome experience. And sometimes I think we need to be a little bit more like Dallas, Texas than Livermore. Can we do that here today? Oh, that's beautiful. Good job. <laughs> a little more urban, a little less suburban. Okay. There's, there's so, so, so there's a family. There was a family a couple of summers ago. I was talking to them, and they were like, okay, so this summer we've, we're, we're sensing that the Lord is, is asking us to do something different with the time and money that we go on vacation. Usually we go to Disneyland. And we're, we're, we're thinking that there's something else for us. And so they prayed about it. And eventually they signed up for one of our house building teams to Tijuana. And so instead of riding Splash Mountain for a few days, they built a home for a family who didn't have one. There's nothing wrong with Disney. Disney's not a sin. I mean, I love Disneyland. I think Disneyland's great. I would go there all the time if it were closer. And anybody who doesn't like Disneyland, I question whether Jesus has really transformed them, okay? I just do. That's just me. That's a personal opinion. <laughs> Disney's great. It's not a sin. But this family, they surrendered their Disney time for TJ time. Oh, my goodness. They were completely blown away by the experience. Because Jesus came along and tapped them on the shoulder and said, Hey, listen, I think I have something different for you and the kids. I think I have something maybe that's going to impact your family in a way that in 20 years from now, you're going to remember this and you're going to want more of this in your life. And so they stayed open and they surrendered their rights. They surrendered their freedom to Jesus and allowed him to sort of nudge them in a different direction. And it was an awesome experience that has impacted their life as well as impacted another family's life who was living in dirt, right? And now they have a nice house on a hillside in a colonia and TJ with keys and furniture and toys for their kids. And it made an incredible, incredible difference in everybody's life because sometimes Jesus will walk by you and he'll tap you on the shoulder and he'll say, I have an assignment for you. This is a little bit out of the box here. And it's gonna require you to give something up. It's gonna require you to stop doing something. But I've got something special in mind. And because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we learn as we walk with him when he's tapping us on the shoulder, eventually we, we learn what that looks like and feels like and sounds like. And we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I think I can do this. I think I can waive my rights in this area. And then we bow our knee to him. And when that happens, and when we do that, the apostle Paul writes like a summary statement of what that looks like. It's found in Philippians chapter two. He says it this way, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And he's talking about here in this passage specifically a vision, a post-apocalyptic vision. This is, this is now when we're in heaven and when human time has ended. And everyone comes to the full realization, regardless of where you are, you come to the full realization that Jesus is, in fact, King of Kings and Lord of the universe. And he's describing when Jesus is fully exalted what we're all going to be doing. And what Joseph teaches us here is he teaches us how to start practicing what we're going to be doing for eternity now, boots on the ground. 
We, if, this is, if this is our future, put this passage back up, please. Slide guy. There we go. Thank you. If this is our future, if this is like where, what, what we're going to be doing a lot of, well, get good at it now. Build your resume now for the next job you're going to have. Isn't that what they say? This is a beautiful thing. Now, notice that Paul speaks here about the name of Jesus. At the name, there's this name of Jesus, the most incredible name in human history. So I want to talk about how Jesus specifically, why he was given this name and not another name. Why was Jesus called Jesus and not something else? This is in the text. Now, let me start by just giving a general backdrop here in Scripture. In Scripture now, scriptural times, naming a baby happened a little bit differently than it tends to happen today. Now today, well, back then, kids never got their names just because their parents were trying to be cool and hipster, all right? And, uh, and come up with very creative and one-of-a-kind names and things like that. So, so, so kids never got named after the elf warrior character in Game of Thrones, okay? Uh, they never got names like Anakin or Voldemort or Banjo or this name, actually, this is a real name. I'm just going to let you sit with this for a second now. Okay, so if you don't get this, you're, you're in good company because our executive pastor, who's my boss in Sermon Run-Through, he did not understand this, and it took me 10 minutes to, to get this for him until the coin drop. But what this is, is, is a name, I guess, it's on the internet, it must be real, uh, that says it's a H-I-J-K-L-M-N. It's a string of alphabetical letters, but there's no L. So this is pronounced Noel. <laughs> Merry friggin' Christmas to you. There you go. <laughs> so, so that's how it happens today. Now some people, I know, isn't this, some people think it's not fair to give kids names that are so oddball that it may hinder them later in life. It's harder to get a job when this is your name. I don't know. Uh, this modern baby agrees with me. Look at the look on her face. She's like, hey, mom, dad, why'd you give me Noel? This doesn't make any sense. All right. There's a fine line between unique and crossing the line, and we're trying to figure that out. Now, that was, that's today. Back then, in the Bible, <laughs> naming happened differently. You see, in Scripture, they were attempting to answer two very important questions when it came to naming someone. The first question that was attempted to answer when someone got a name was, who are you? Who are you? Not just like, oh, who you are, like in a casual sense, but no, who are you really at your core? So your name signified an aspect of your identity, a, a portion of your character, or even uh, it just would describe certain attributes of your personality. So what kind of person are you and are you becoming? So your parents would sort of take some time. They didn't name babies right away. They waited until at least eight days, at least for the boys. What kind of person will you become? Your name's gonna tell you that. When someone meets you and they hear your name, they're gonna know a little bit more about who you will really are as a person. Who are you? For example, the infant Moses was given his name by who? By Pharaoh's daughter. She was bathing in the Nile River, and lo and behold, a baby comes floating by in a wicker basket. And she didn't have a baby, and she wanted a baby, and she saw one. And so she took it. 
She took the baby and she pulls the baby out of the water and that's his name, Moses. It, names, it means drawn from water. And that's understandable given the initial circumstances. But much later in life, we see Moses being drawn out of a bunch of water again, don't we? He's standing in the middle of the Red Sea and there's water on either side, although he's in dry land and God is drawing Israel out of the water and Moses out of the water as he is escaping, as he is allowing their escape from Egypt. Moses had a perfect name. He became what his Egyptian mama named him, drawn from water, beautiful. Now in the book of Ruth, we come across another example. We come across a woman named Naomi. Does anybody know what Naomi means? It means pleasant. Ah, pleasant Naomi. But in this case, she is a woman who has been thoroughly beaten down by life. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's lost all earthly security. It's stripped from her, and she's sick of it. She's sick of it. She hits her boiling point. So she turns to everybody, and she says... Hey, everybody, stop calling me Naomi. That's not my name anymore. From now on, my new name is Mara. And Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. I'm bitter, so that's what you're going to call me. I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm sick and tired of you saying that about me because that's not who I am. Naomi wanted her new name to reflect the person she had become. In the Bible, your name attempts to tell people who you are. Now, Christy and I, my wife, we spent a lot of time uh, prior to our kids being born. We put some time in prayer into naming both of them. And it's partly just kind of followed this pattern. We wanted their names to be reflective of their character and their identity. So we named our son Aiden. He's 17 now. He eats an extraordinarily amount, a large amount of protein. It's really amazing. Um, that's not why we named him that, though. We actually named him uh, after a, f a couple of famous ancient Christian leaders, one of whom is named St. Aidan of Lindisfarne. St. Aidan of Lindisfarne was, uh, lived in the 7th seventh, seventh and 8th centuries, and he helped evangelize Lower Scotland and Middle England. And he brought the gospel, and he started a community, and he preached, and he, he established a, 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 a wonderful place where people could come, the poor could come and be fed. And, and, and we can go to his church even today, on the east coast of, of England and, and see a mosaic of him, St. Aidan of Lindisfarne. There was another Aidan about that time who traveled from uh, Ireland to evangelize the Vikings. Not the football team, but the real Vikings. He brought the gospel to them. And so we named Aidan after these, these great leaders called Aidan, and the name Aidan means fiery one, fiery one. That's his name. We named Caris our daughter. She's 16, almost 16. Well, we learned this word a few weeks ago from Pastor Steve, didn't we, in, their, in our, our sermon series, right? This is the New Testament word in Greek for grace. Charis, grace. So every time you're reading the Bible and you come across in the New Testament the word grace, what Jesus gives us, oh, it's the word charis. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name for a kid. What a beautiful name for a girl. And so every single time we call out the name charis, whether we're uh, saying just in a normal voice or in a tone of anger or whatever. I'm not saying we ever do that, but we're literally preaching beautiful theology. Charis, grace, grace and fire. Grace, unmerited favor, fire, passion for God. Two of the greatest gifts that God could ever give us. 
and our kids, Aiden and Karis, two of the greatest gifts that God could ever give Christy and I. Those are their names. In the Bible, your name attempted to answer who you are. The second question they wanted to answer is whose are you? So there's who you are, and then whose, uh, whose are you? Whoever it is that named you, that's to whom you belong. The person that gave you your name, look at that person, okay? Those are your people. That's your family, that's your clan, that's your origin. And it was a big deal to be the namer in the Bible, to name someone else, because that meant if you're the namer, you had authority in that person's life. Even as a parent, you have authority, at least for a time while your kids are growing and you're responsible for them. But sometimes, if you're the namer, you had responsibility for the person for their whole life. And in Bible times, it was common for kings and generals to, re- to rename those whom they had vanquished in battle in order to show their dominance and authority. In the book of Daniel, we see this. The Babylonian king sweeps down into the southern kingdom in 586 and completely destroys the city of Jerusalem and takes all those whom he didn't kill into captive and and puts them into the Babylonian empire. And in doing so, he takes away all of their Hebrew names. And we see Daniel and the three Hebrew boys being stripped of their Hebrew names and given new names, Babylonian names. Why did the king do that? The king did that so that every time they heard their new name, they would be reminded of who's boss, who's in charge. He was showing his muscle and his superiority. So naming in the Bible has an authority structure to it. The namer has governmental agency over the named. And this is the reason then why God does not let Mary and Joseph name Jesus because they do not have authority over him. He's God. They are under his authority. Furthermore, humans can't ever name God because attempting to do so would be them deciding the kind of person they want God to be. And God will not be defined by human beings. He's self-defined. A lot of us do try to name God, maybe inadvertently, and try to define God the way that we want him to be. And usually, friends, this looks like a slightly smarter and more powerful version of ourselves where God believes exactly the same things we do, but he's just a little bit better looking than us. But God will not have that. We take him as he is. He defines himself, not us. Now what's interesting is when you look at the prophecies in the Bible concerning the coming Christ in the Old Testament, the Messiah is mentioned quite a few times and he's actually given a lot of different names. We read some of them in week one of our series when we looked at the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah has a lot of different names for the Messiah. Here's a few of them. We'll just kind of pick some. Isaiah calls the Messiah the wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. There's lots of names here. There's lots of titles. We could pull out even more in scripture. But when the angel shows up to Mary and then shows up to Joseph, God says what? He will be called Jesus. So the question is, why did God land on the name Jesus and not any of these other names that he had already given us in the prophetic material? Jesus, by the way, is a, is a Hellenized uh, or a Greekized version or form of the Hebrew name, Yeshua. Yeshua, or we would say Joshua. And this literally means Jesus. The definition is the Lord saves. Yeshua, the Lord saves. We would say Jesus. 
There are other, other names, as I said, and they're good names, incredible attributes of Jesus, and he is all of those things. But the reason why God lands on this name, on the name of Jesus, is because first and foremost, he came to save us which means that God came to rescue us from sin and from darkness. And God wanted to make sure that none of us ever forgot that singular important fact. And so every time we pray, every time we cry out to Jesus, when we call upon his name, we are declaring what God has done for us. He's saved us. Yes, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is. If you've ever needed counseling in the the ministry of Jesus in this way, he is that. Yes, he's almighty and he's powerful and he's sovereign. Yes, he is eternal. He's everlasting. Yes, he's our peace giver. And yes, of course, he is Emmanuel. He's with us. But what is primary, what is essential, what is first amongst all of those things is he is our savior. That is his identity. That is, his, that is his mission. Oh, you can clap for that. That's okay. Thank you. Yes. You're not clapping for me. We're clapping for him. He's Lord. He's the Lord who saves. That's his personality. That's what he came to do. That's why he was born. He was on a mission from day one. And the mission was to save us, to pay the price for all of the sin and the junk that you and I have ever done and ever will do, and the junk that anybody else has ever done and ever will do. And all that's left in this equation is for you and me is to simply put our faith and put our trust in Jesus' good saving work, the saving work of salvation, accomplished completely and totally and solely by Christ. You and I, our efforts uh, don't come into play here. The Christmas story then, the birth of Jesus, is the very beginning of this, of the rescue mission orchestrated by God, empowered by the Spirit, and carried out by Jesus Christ. Oh, what's so cool about this? Okay, when you you cross the line of faith, when a person puts their trust in Jesus and says, okay, I need this. I'm out of it. I'm done trying to try to fix this mess. Jesus, you fix this mess of my life. When you put your trust in him, not only does Jesus give you, he gives you a new life, right? He, he gives you a mulligan, lots of them, golf term. Nobody, anybody? No, yes, thank you. He gives us a fresh start. He transforms us. He starts a transformation. It's from the inside out. But you know what else happens? Eventually, we're promised that Jesus will give us a brand new name. We don't get to know what that name is now. But again, going to the vision of heaven in scripture, it says we have to wait until we get there. But the promise in these passages in the book of Revelation is that when we meet Jesus face to face, he pulls us aside and he talks with us one-on-one and we get a private conversation with him. I don't know what that, I mean, that's gonna be a cool moment. A private conversation. I'm sure we're going to cover a lot of ground. I got a lot of questions. I'm sure I probably won't ask any one of those questions. But in that conversation, we're told that he names us. And in doing so, the transformation of our identity and our character and our personality is now complete. Because when you hear that new name, everything is going to fall into place. 
you really do know who I am. You're the only one who's ever really known me. That's who you made me to be. And when we know who we are, and when we know whose we are, it will be forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And we look forward to that day. Until then, I just want to encourage you today, in this moment, if you've never done this, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? It's actually pretty simple. This isn't rocket science. It's just simply saying, and you can even do this internally, there's no external action needed. But you can simply put your faith, what you rely upon, you can transfer all that over to Jesus. You come to the realization that yes, my life is filled with sin and rebellion. I've walked away from God. I've tried to do things my own way. I've tried to be the CEO. And you come to the point where you just bow your knee to him and you say, take my life, Jesus. Take my life. You are king. You are master. And I bow my knee to the high king of heaven. So do this today. Don't wait another moment. Don't walk out of this room and you know, say, you know what, I'm going to ponder this a little bit. No, ponder it all right now and just do it. Get it done. The only regret you'll ever have is that you put it off. The only regret you'll ever have is that you waited. And so do that today. For the rest of us who have already done that, when Jesus, from time to time, walks by and taps us on the shoulder, so to speak, and asks us to bow our knee in areas that are rightfully ours, well, let's remember Joseph. Let's remember what Joseph did. Let's follow his example. <laughs> and let's be willing to say yes to whatever the Lord asks and then watch him do great things through our life. Friends, that's all I have today. Let's pray together. Please bow your heads. Lord, I thank you that you are truly the only one who knows who each of us are. You know, the nuances and the history and the things that make us us and the, the secrets that we've never told anybody. God, you're aware of those things and, and you factor all that into our identity. And when that day comes, that amazing thing that's gonna happen when we meet you face to face and you name us, you rename us, Lord, what an incredible promise. And we look forward to that and we thank you for that. But until then, Lord, we give you governmental agency over our life. If there's an area of our life, Lord, that we've been kind of, oh, well, this is mine, Lord. It's a hands off, all right? Lord, this is just, this is my right. I pray that, that that hardness of our heart would be softened as a result of this, of this teaching, of this, of this paradigmatic example that Joseph gave to us. I pray, Lord, that give us the grace for that. And Lord, we thank you so much that you came on this rescue mission for each and every single one of us. Lord, we just love you. You're an amazing God. And the more we study you and the more we dig into your word, the more our minds are just bend. They just bend and they're just like, oh my goodness, I never even thought about this, Lord. And we could spend the rest of our days and the rest of eternity pondering the greatness of you, Jesus. And so, Lord, let that be our story. God, I thank you for every person here. Bless us now as we continue to worship in this service and then we go out. Lord, help us to reflect your beautiful name to all who see our lives. And I pray this, Lord. These are impossible prayers to ever live out in our own human strength. And so give us, Jesus, your strength. 
We just pray this now in your lovely name, in your beautiful name, in your strong name, the name above all other names, the name of Jesus. And we all said, amen, amen.